there. Welcome to the Evan Hawk Podcast, the space for all things Knights of the Old Republic and Star Wars news. Today I am joined by Plo Cool, and we're delving back into a topic that I love and so many of you demanded more of, the hero's journey. Spoiler alert for the Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films, TV shows, books, and all other media. This is where the meditation begins. All right, Plo, uh, thanks for coming on to the Ebon Hawk podcast. Can you kind of introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Let's see, I run an Instagram page, on a Star Wars Instagram page, where I just talk posts about varying topics, some of the meta stuff in terms of the Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey, but also just basic news, kind of all over the place, just to... A general fan of Star Wars who's more with a focus on the storytelling of Star Wars than, I guess, the lore. Um, even though I still go into that and all that good stuff. But yeah, I just Star Wars Instagram page. But with a focus here and there on Campbell. Yeah. I followed your page for a while and I was uh, impressed with, like, kind of like your knowledge of storytelling. And basically, if anyone ever, like, posts about Campbell, I'm, I'm always very interested because... That's kind of like my bread and butter, and on the Ebon Hawk podcast, we're always talking about the hero's journey. It's like my thing. Like, I, I love it. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I'm excited to do and another that, hero's journey episode. Yeah, I am too. And I think, to add on to that, one of the main things with my account was I had noticed as I had learned more about Campbell's influence, um, I noticed that not many people talked about him anymore. At least in my circles. Thankfully, I found more people that do, like What the Force Media. But that's where kind of how I got interested in Campbell Moore is, is like, he has such an influence, but it's not talked about as much as I feel like it should be. Yeah, it, it definitely should be talked about more. And I love the What the Force podcast. They really delve into the myth making, kind of like mythic storytelling of, of Star Wars. And I think they do an incredible job. And yeah, there there is kind of a lack of Campbell discussion, and that shouldn't happen. I don't know if it's just because Joseph Campbell passed away and kind of Lucas has stepped away, but I hope there's kind of more of a discussion or maybe like a Campbellian figurehead that kind of discusses and brings that discussion to kind of modern audiences and just like, modern society as well so maybe we're doing our small part yeah yep, doing our part so uh, the previous hero's journey episode we did we we kind of focused on the original trilogy and luke skywalker and we kind of mentioned the prequel trilogy and anakin skywalker we kind of just didn't delve into the sequel trilogy just to kind of let it settle more before we kind of touched on like chapter three like the return uh from joseph campbell's uh the hero with a thousand faces so i thought like you would be a good 
person to talk to kind of like continuing that discussion too. I think that you were, I think wise and not going into that right away. Cause I remember when I did my series of posts on the hero's journey from the original trilogy, I had a long gap before I did it on the sequel trilogy. Not only because it's just a touchy subject within the fandom of sequel trilogy and all that, but it's a little more nuanced. I feel like it's not as clear cut in a sense, uh, with the connections with the hero's journey. And so it's, it takes a little more research. It took me a long time to kind of crack it. Um, that was also why I think it was just good to let it sit for a bit. Yeah. And as I've kind of run this podcast and kind of learned more about star Wars and kind of thought about it more, like I've noticed like my, thoughts and feelings on the sequel trilogy have changed. Like in some ways I've kind of come full circle. Um, when I saw the last Jedi in theaters, like I was like, this is what I, this is what I was missing in episode seven. Um, for me, seven, it's a good movie, but I just kind of felt like it wasn't like the George Lucas kind of movie that star Wars usually is. Cause George Lucas mm. really doesn't retread his, his tracks you know but in some ways like seven felt a little bit uh nostalgic but when i saw episode eight i was like this really took some some chances and it kind of focused on the acting and the storytelling but sometimes just like when you hear a lot of people kind of have problems with the film like you kind of tend to think like that and i think the last jedi does kind of kind of make you have to grapple with some things but i i've kind of come around to it being my favorite of the sequel trilogy you know and um mm -hmm. yeah so it, it it is fair to say that luke's story in the sequel trilogy was divisive um many fans are still stuck so where do you fall on luke and the sequel trilogy kind of like his story in the sequel trilogy i'm very much in the camp of i think it was he's the best part of that movie I, it's one of my it's my second favorite star wars movie but largely in part because of his role and i just i think his story was done justice i think it makes sense for the character um we'll obviously get into that but i just think it his story, it just felt such, it was touching, it was nuanced, um, fresh, um, it was risky. Uh, sequel trilogy overall, I think overall I really like it. Um, like Force Awakens, I'm a big, I am a fan. I agree with you that it feels nostalgic and it's not necessarily George Lucas storytelling um, because he wouldn't retread like it does. That's where episode eight feels like something that he would do kind of in the sense of how the story is told. And then episode nine, it goes back to a little bit of the force awakens feeling, but also that modern cinema thing of just trying to do too much, um, trying to tie too many or have like interconnections and everything has to be explained and kind of almost not leaving nuance up to the audience to interpret and figure out on their own um but overall yeah. i think i'm a fan of the sequel trilogy um yeah 
but I still, I definitely have my little nitpicks here and there. Yeah. And I think like with time, I'll kind of see like the whole picture of Star Wars. And I think with uh, other projects kind of filling in the, the gaps, like the world building of the sequel trilogy, kind of like how the Clone Wars uh, assisted the prequel trilogy for a lot of people. Um, I'm sure like I'll mm. come to look at them more fondly, but like, I mean, Star Wars also is kind of more for the people who grow up with them. Like, people from generations older than me just don't understand the prequel trilogy, and I'm, and I, I just am always like, yeah, Anakin Skywalker is my favorite character, and I don't know, I, I just think I really like the Greek tragedy, you know, that the prequel trilogy is, mm. but, and like they'll kind of just look at me weird, but I'm like, oh, it's just what I like, you know, but yeah. Just to kind of refresh people, uh, kind of of the Joseph Campbell of it all, The Return is part of the hero's journey. There is the departure, the initiation, and then the return. It's kind of like the closing of the circle, you know? Um, and some of the, mm -hmm. the sections of that return are the refusal of the return, the magic flight, rescue from without, the crossing of the return threshold, master of the two worlds, and then freedom to live. Um, and uh, kind of one thing I've kind of noticed, like in Western storytelling, is I think we don't really emphasize the return as much. Um, kind of like with like mm. Hollywood and like just kind of like kind of more of uh, pop culture. I think we like our heroes to be young, attractive, and rich. Like, we don't like mm -hmm. to see eight people grow old and have struggles. But Eastern stories, I think nope. it's kind of more about growth uh, and ambiguity, which kind of reflects life a bit more. Uh, what do you think? No, I, I totally agree. And one I wasn't even intentionally doing it, but it came in handy of the topic we're talking about. But last night I watched the movie Logan for the first time. And it very much reminded me of Luke in The Last Jedi, a bit how he's old, or Wolverine at this point, he's old, he's angry, he's full of, just there's a lot of emotion there. He's not good looking anymore. He walks with a limp. And it shows him struggling, but overcoming those struggles. And that's the same with Luke. And I think a lot of us don't like to see that, especially in a Western point of view. But and so I think a lot of and I think with Luke, especially because with Wolverine, he's not as sacred as Luke Skywalker. And I don't think he ever will. And he's not also hasn't been around as Luke Skywalker. So I think it made audiences more accepted his story arc in Logan a lot easier. For Luke, he hadn't been on the screen for, you know, 34 years. After, I mean, The Last Jedi came out in 2017, and then we got that little glimpse in The Force Awakens. So I think audiences were so, it was a jarring change, even though it made sense from a storytelling perspective. I think I can understand why people didn't like it, but I also just think there's a problem probably within the Western culture that views people growing different changing their worldview in a sense is that's a bad thing and they don't want to see that 
whereas an Eastern point of view is that's kind of a part of life. Yeah. And that's kind of what mythic storytelling is meant to be. And that's kind of what Joseph Campbell kind of expounded upon in the hero with a thousand faces. Like myths are meant to be stories about life that inform you like kind of how to live and grow up. It kind of reflects like, uh, the departure, initiation, and return kind of reflect birth, life, and death. And I mm. think a lot of people just aren't really as familiar with Campbell or myths and kind of like modern storytelling can sometimes just like maybe be a little bit more kind of light and fluffy, you know? But I think... Mm -hmm. I think sometimes to understand Star Wars, sometimes you have to kind of dig a little bit. I mean, anyone can understand Star Wars and enjoy it, but I think if you really want to understand like what Lucas was trying to impart, um, I think that you you do kind of have to kind of dig in and uh, kind of learn a, a little bit about Campbell, but. I guess, like, the refusal of the return, like, I I kind of forget, maybe because I've just kind of grown up with Western entertainment primarily. Like, I always forget that stories have a cool-down moment. Like, I always kind of think, like, it ends just kind of, like, after the belly of the well, and then they kind of succeed. Like, that's not really how the stories work, is, like, there has to be a return, you know? And... Um, well, and even in the belly, like with Jonah, like it, there was more to that story after he got out of the whale. Yeah, and it wasn't you know as clear cut, in the sense of that like how his story ends. It doesn't necessarily end on a high note. No. <laughs> um, and that's where I just think a lot. So many other stories follow that, but I think we just get so transfixed to like, oh, he got. He went into the belly of the well and he got out, but okay, what happens after that? And I think a lot of people just don't try and they don't it, they don't look into it deeper. I think not, and I think that's can be fine. I'm not trying to insult people that don't look deeper, yeah. but I think there's. I just wish there was more investigative um, viewership. When the hero quest is accomplished, the hero has kind of made it to like the ultimate source of life but the hero isn't meant to stay there they're meant to close the circle and return back to where they came from and share what they learned like you have to get back with the life transmitting trophy and it's kind of like in life like what you do the goal is to be, like, selfless, not selfish, and, like, kind of, like, share. When you follow your bliss, like, you are sharing, like, what you've learned and who you are uh, with the world around you. And, and that's kind of, like, what the hero is meant to be, you know, kind of save the, the society. Do you kind of see these steps, like, the refusal, the magic flight. Where do you see like Luke's uh, story kind of in the sequel trilogy in these steps? Well, the refusal is one of the more easier ones to see. You know, with 
quite literally personified in him taking the saber, throwing it over his shoulder and closing himself off in the hut. And then I think with the magic flight, I don't see that one as much within, because that one's more like the humorous type yeah. return where it, it's, I don't see, that's not as evident in Luke's journey specifically. I think there's the rescue from without, and that's kind of both personified by Ray and Yoda. Especially, like, Yoda really from without, from the dead, as a spirit calling him back into fulfilling his goal. And then I think it's interesting kind of looking into these um, more closely, like with the crossing of the return threshold. I think that one is marked by at the the burning of the Unetti tree, uh, kind of marking a significant moment of him crossing this threshold in realizing what he needs to do after he's being rescued almost by Yoda to fulfill his goal. Um, then I think the master of the two worlds is really well done with him projecting because he's mastered almost that spiritual, the force working as the spiritual realm and also being physically on the island, but, projecting himself across the galaxy um i think that is evident is within a very campbellian um and then the freedom to live marked by the freedom almost to live on in the cosmic force um not in the physical realm so that reaching that apothe apotheosis of being apothe like just reaching this new state of being um and i hadn't really I knew I always liked um, Luke's story before I had really gotten into Campbell. But it was when I got into Campbell, I just realized, okay, this is why it connected with me. Because it's, it's so mythic and all these, it's it touches a certain chord within our collective unconscious. I could it, really see that's why it connected. It's just, I think it, the whole mythic type of his story in the sequel trilogy kind of gave me almost vindication of why I thought it was so good. I think there's still even more for me to kind of unpack from it. Out of all of the uh, movies in the sequel trilogy, after I saw The Last Jedi, um, I was like, I really think Ryan Johnson read, you know, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Like, I didn't know that for sure, but then it's like, oh, he did. And I, I think that when I first saw The Last Jedi, I was like, they kind of made, like, Luke Skywalker kind of become a recluse and, like, he kind of had to reclaim, like, who he was. He he made mistakes, you know, but then he kind of overcame them and that's very Campbellian, you know? And because mm -hmm. the goal of the monomyth isn't, like, just to kind of emphasize human failure or superhuman success, but human success. Like, as humans, we make mistakes, but what we can do is we can overcome them and I think that's what's shown with like Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi and the rescue from without like Campbell says like the world may have to get the hero like Luke had to be found and Ray did find him. There's also this quote I think it kind of comes from like section two of The Hero with a Thousand Faces but I think it really 
kind of emphasizes what um, Luke goes through, kind of looking at chapter three, these stages. And the quote says, the hero of yesterday becomes the tyrant of tomorrow unless he crucifies himself today. And Luke, I think like when he, he could have made that mistake and like kind of killed Ben, like it was an instinct. He didn't end up doing it, but he felt bad about it. And then I think he, just as a result of like what he did to Ben and then Ben kind of turning to the dark side, I think like Luke just felt so guilty and he just kind of wanted to just kind of forget. And then he was just kind of wallowing in his mistake. I think uh, Luke was kind of like crucifying himself. Then he, he overcomes that pain. And like you said, he kind of transcends like he masters force projection, which kind of, I think is more evidence of him becoming more of a hero, you know, rather than like he killed a lot of robots, you know, and it was really cool mm-hmm. because he's learning about the force, you know, and he's mastering the force and he kind of mastered the physical and uh, I guess the spiritual, the force world. I thought it was kind of poetic that that is kind of how he died and he saw the two sons, you know, I, I feel like he, he learned th- the lessons he was meant to. Yeah, and especially, that's one thing I love about the projection is that for him, he's older at this point. He's learning, yeah, he's been learning more about the Force. And it's so cool to see someone like Luke move beyond having to use violence to gain a victory. And obviously, it's very, it's the core belief of the Jedi. It's using the Force for defense, never for attack. And that's exactly what he does. So few Jedi have been able to master this ability. That's what makes it so mythic to us, is we're seeing him use this power that we've never seen before, at least in the films at this time. And it just kind of, it makes it full circle. It's just like he's, it shows us that he's learned beyond having to use violence. So it's that, yeah, he's become a master of his own abilities. Yeah, I mean, in Return of the Jedi, what makes Luke a Jedi is he doesn't want to fight his father, but then Darth Vader says, oh, you have a sister. I'll turn her to the dark side. And then Luke gets very angry, and he's about to, he kind of just, he keeps pounding his lightsaber down on his father. He cuts off his father's robotic hand, and then he looks at his own robotic hand, and then he sees, like, if he continues on his path of, getting vengeance on Darth Vader, he'll just become Darth Vader and be stuck in the dark side. And what makes Luke a Jedi in that moment is when he throws away his lightsaber and he says, I'm not going to harm my father. I'm a Jedi like my father before me, you know? But I kind of wonder Mm -hmm. if, like, Return of the Jedi was released today, if that would happen or it would just be, like, an epic fight and Luke just does some cool moves and then that's the end you know yeah I think that probably that moment is so anti anything you'd really see today 
of him throwing away his weapon. Like, I wonder just kind of where, how, what that would be. Even shown just how Luke is in The Mandalorian. Like, I think it would probably look something like that. When I first watched The Mandalorian, I kind of mentioned this in another episode, but I was just like, oh, there's a, one X-Wing. And then I was like, oh, Ray flew an X-Wing in Rise of Skywalker. That must be Luke. And then it was Luke. And I... I was getting goosebumps and stuff, but I was kind of just like in my head, I'm like, I don't know quite if, if this feels right, you know, for Luke mm. to show up. And, and, and I was just kind of thinking of Return of the Jedi, like, and like, Luke threw away his lightsaber, you know, like, and I was kind of just thinking in my head, like, I know a lot of fans are gonna, are gonna like this, but I'm like, mythically is that the story that should be told i know like luke can do this and i mean he is defending baby yoda but i don't know it's kind of like i can see the argument that seeing luke as an action star hero you know kind of builds up the legend of luke skywalker and then it kind of builds up his hubris so when he does mess up he feels it more but Mm. Yeah, it's kind of something I'm kind of still grappling with. And I don't know, what were your thoughts on Luke's hallway scene in The Mandalorian? It's one of those things that's still I'm also kind of grappling with. And uh, it's, I was kind of, I had the same thing. When it first happened, I was very excited as a fan watching Luke do all this cool stuff that makes it it's going to make any Star Wars fan excited especially if as someone who's a huge fan of Luke but then it gets into the argument for me of okay does this feel earned is it does it make sense I still don't think I've gotten to a point where I think it feels earned from a storytelling perspective especially of how convenient it is within the series itself like oh how convenient that boba just didn't come back for some reason and here comes luke in an x-wing and you kind of you make it convenient because those two characters know know each other yeah so there's even within that it's just like okay well boba knows luke so we can't have boba here he's just never going to come back it's like okay but i think it would have been more interesting if actually you had boba there because he serves as a connection between, from a sense that Boba makes sense that he's in the Mandalorian, and he's from the original trilogy, and he can be serve as almost like a middleman to connect the two. Um, almost as a, like in a meta sense of to the audience of like him knowing who it is, kind of almost serving as the audience. Um, even though they use the people within like. Bo-Katan and Gideon like oh who is this there's that tense moment they don't know who it is we don't know who it is but and that kind of gets into the sense of it not feeling earned because when he does show up it's like no one here has any connection to him they don't know who he is he's just a random Jedi and it that is made even more weird from an audience the uncanny valley stuff with his terrible CGI and faceless, no emotion. He's stoic, and I mean, it makes sense as a Jedi, but it almost makes the separation 
with Grogu from Din even more heartbreaking because he's giving this child to this man, this Jedi, who can't even have a emotional reaction um, due to the CGI. And it just makes it, it yeah. feels weird. And I think it, it has, feels even weirder the more I think about it. Because yeah, once you take I mean, yourself out as like knowing who that is. I think for me, something for like some people can't see 3D. But when I saw Rogue One, I was just excited because I was like, oh, this is a really cool step forward, like technologically. So I guess CGI like de-aging CGI doesn't bother me as much, but I kind of did notice like, oh, that's why he has his hood on in those scenes is so then they don't have to like pay for CGI right there. And like they would artfully like exclude Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker's head from some of this, from some of the frames. So I was like, oh, Disney is, you know, being economical there. Like, I guess, like, CGI faces don't bother me as much, but um, it kind of leaves you with a, a weird feeling because you're like, is Grogu going to die? You know, like, is is he going to yeah. die in the fire? <laughs> yeah, I don't have a huge problem with CGI either. I just think this one, it was extra weird just because of how big of a role the CGI character played within this context. Like, Tarkin, he's a far enough removed from what's going on in the integral, like, the main characters or protagonists that we're following. Same with Leia at the end, even though Leia's appearance is it's admittedly gr- gratuitous, but I think it's cool. But with Luke here, it's him, it's kind of the weirdness of how he looks adds to the weirdness of them not knowing who he is From an for me personally. It just kind of makes yeah. the whole situation feel awkward. Yeah, you kind of touched on a lot of um, issues I kind of had with The Mandalorian Season 2. Because, like, some of the writing kind of just felt a little obvious. Like, everything just worked out a little bit too conveniently. And it kind of mm-hmm. felt like The Mandalorian just kind of stumbled upon everything. I kind of like the storytelling a bit more from season one. Like there were some one-offs, but then I felt like everything kind of interconnected. But here it's kind of just like, I need to find a Mandalorian. There's a Mandalorian on Tatooine. On Tatooine, I need to drop this person off. Oh, look, there's Bo-Katan. And then Bo-Katan says, find Ahsoka Tano. Ahsoka Tano says, find this temple. Grogu gets taken from the temple and then he goes to rescue... Grogu and then he runs into Luke Skywalker it feels a little bit too kind of like if someone was telling a joke it's kind of like they're not going to use that as like you're kind of predicting what the punchline is going to be and then it's like they won't say that Mm. it's too obvious and then it's like oh they they use the obvious punchline you know and just I I kind of think like I kind of just had more of a problem with uh, the tragedy because I was like why did Boba Fett, like, if he cares about his armor so much, like, not take it from Cobb Vanth, who was on the same planet as him for five years, and now he's suddenly just conveniently here, and then he's conveniently not there when Luke shows up? Like, 
it kind of felt a little uh th those details felt a little bit odd but the whole Cobb van thing i that's one thing that has bothered me to a point where i'm just like there has to be an explanation that they're going to go into in the book of boba fett because it's that glaring to me in a sense it's just like he's just you're telling me he's just been waiting around on tatooine for like five to six years with his slave one which is operational and is just kind of watching the town of Mos Pelgo from afar just because or what is he doing so I'm just I have to imagine they'll explain that but also at the moment it kind of just serves as a really weird convenient writing thing especially with the fact that he's now conveniently a man of honor which I guess could be established, but it's just also, it kind of just felt like a swerve from who we know he is. But yes, there's certain things like that where I'm just, I'm, I have questions and I hope they'll get answers. Because it seemed that Fennec Shand and Boba Fett were kind of different people. Because the last time we saw both of them canonically, they were kind of more adversaries. And I was like, oh, they're good now and they're going to help defend this child. Okay. And I, not many people really kind of complained about that, but I'm like, interesting, you know, like, I guess uh, sometimes mm -hmm. if like fans like get what they want, they, they won't question it, but I don't know. It just kind of stuck out to me because I'm just, I'm someone who writes and loves stories. So it, it just kind of felt a little odd to me, but I mean, if fans like it, that, that's oh, yeah. fine. But like from a storytelling perspective, I was just a little confused. <laughs> I've had the same thought, even because they're so critical of Luke, but they're not consistent with that, what they think is critical thinking, because they don't use that type of thinking for Boba and Fennec. Whether you agree with their character changes or not, that their characters do change. And... We just accept them because we love Boba Fett. And we love seeing Boba Fett do cool things. You know, it's not a character change of where he's, like, less cool. It's him. It's kind of living up to the... Conveniently serving the story while being, like, you know, the badass Boba Fett. Um, yeah. And then, but with Luke, because it's a change of him being more jaded more world weary it not the whole you know slamming ATATs against each other at the battle of crate that's why we don't like them so it's just those inconsistencies and in thinking that make me kind of frustrated but it is what it is yeah when i first saw the season two opener of uh the mandalorian i thought that that was kind of that glimpse of Boba Fett at the end, I thought that was kind of like telegraphing to the audience that Boba Fett knew where his armor was. He kind of moved on. He survived, but he moved on. Like, he wasn't about the bounty hunting life anymore. Uh, and he was just kind of seeing mm. another Mandalorian with his armor, and it was it was kind of like passing of the torch. And I was like, oh! That's a fun cameo. We see that Boba Fett lived, and there's a new Mandalorian, you know? I, th I thought that was good, and, like, 
there were a lot of rumors going around saying like, oh, Boba Fett's coming back. And I was like, uh, he's not coming back, guys. Like, that was a perfect send-off, you know? But then he did come back, and it, it just kind of felt a little weird. But, uh, I, I mean, I guess I just have to be okay with that. But, but yeah, there's just kind of some puzzling things storytelling-wise. Like, I still enjoyed The Mandalorian Season 2, but, I mean, I, like, from a storytelling perspective and just like it kind of felt like Disney plus was launching some backdoor pilots, you know? So I guess that's kind of some of the problems yeah, I had. Cause I overall, I loved, I love the season. I love the show. I think it's some of my favorite star Wars content, but I'm, there was these little red flags such as inconsistencies in writing or convenient writing and also thinking about how it's setting up almost a new universe. And this is not a universe, but a new cinematic type interconnected universe within the shows. And then when you think about John Favreau, who launched the MCU, so which was a risk. No one knew that was going to happen. That was never a sure thing. And he, he took the risk of doing Iron Man and it paid off. The Mandalorian was a risky thing because it was like, okay, how are fans going to react to a TV series about a, a new character? It was a risk and it paid off. And now you got to think, okay, what's John Favreau thinking? He's thinking, okay, I've done these two risks and they both paid off so far. So he's probably thinking of like, okay, how can I make almost the MCU equivalent of Star Wars? And that's what I think the direction he's taking. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I guess we'll see. But I'm a little cautious. Because I think he's probably, you know, that's what success does to a person. I mean, he probably feels pretty good about himself. And he thinks he can do just about anything and it will pay off at this point. Because it paid off once. It's paying off twice so far. But that gives me a little worry. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. All right, before we move on to our next topic, we're just going to take a little break. And you've kind of touched on these thoughts on your uh, Instagram page, but... I kind of had this thought too, kind of when I was thinking more about Disney Investor Day, and we got a whole lot of like announcements for new Marvel shows and Star Wars shows, but I was kind of just thinking like there wasn't really a whole lot of original kind of grounded storytelling. It's all kind of like about franchises now, which kind of makes me sad because like it seems like even just like outside of streaming services, uh, there's not a lot of grounded personal stories or even just like kind of original content in the cinemascape. What do you think about uh, that development? Whew. That's a that's a topic I've really been tackling on my Instagram account lately, just because it's been I've been thinking about it a lot, um, and it's come full circle for me in a sense because where it's come i've hit a moment of realization recently even though i had known it but it really hit me 
in the past maybe year year or two um but i grew kind of grew up i mean iron man came out when i was young and that was one of my favorite i remember i loved that movie and then i grew up with kind of got older with all of this marvel cinematic universe and it was emotionally connected because i grew up with the characters but then it turned in to me realizing wait a second Something doesn't feel right about this, almost, because after Endgame, for me, that was an emotional stopping point. Because I'm used to stories that have an end. Then after, it's like, it keeps going after this, almost, even though I knew it, but after it happened, then when there's new movies coming out afterwards, I was just like, this doesn't feel right. Because now it just, it's reached a new level of almost ridiculousness of, like, how long this has to go on. Especially when the storytelling just doesn't even feel the way it did. Um, and then I think on a, a larger scale with other movies, it's just... They're all trying to kind of capture what the MCU opened up. They're all trying to, you know, hit that um, eureka. Trying to get that moment. And I just... It's becoming... Everything feels... Has been smashed into a flat circle, uh, from a storytelling perspective, and I don't. It, all the Marvel movies just feel like it's kind of not all of them, but most of them, that, to me at this point, even in hindsight, just feel like they were using the same formula with pretty new special effects. And yeah. Star Wars, you know, there's been moments where I feel like Star Wars has gotten into that. Like Rise of Skywalker definitely kind of flirted with that type of storytelling. Um, and the whole spectacle over story is something that I've been concerned about. And that even goes back to the whole Luke in Mandalorian. Yeah, the, those are some great thoughts. I, I mean, I, I always loved mythology and I always loved superheroes. And it was great to kind of um, have some of these superhero films uh but after a while i'm like oh it's another marvel movie okay and i remember seeing infinity war in theaters i think i saw it once but after i saw it once i didn't really feel compelled to see it again like i i like the characters mm. and all that but it kind of seems like without the snap the twist like it kind of really doesn't stand on its own with Endgame, I'm like, this is fun. Like, it's it's a good send-off to these characters, but I only saw it once. I felt like it kind of shut the box on, like, what the MCU meant to me. Like, I, I didn't need to kind of watch it again and again. And kind of with modern, modern films, like kind of franchise or cinematic universe films, it kind of seems like they feel a bit like four quadrant tested like does this play well with like this age group this age group does everyone like this mm. and to an extent like i think rise of skywalker was like does this make last jedi fans happy does this make people who didn't like the last jedi happy does this make this kind of fan happy like it, it felt a little bit uh calculated uh not really natural and there are some moments in Rise of Skywalker that I, I do love, but it just kind of felt like the most uh, 
calculated and maybe not organic of the Star Wars mm. movies for me. But we, but with like Marvel films, like it kind of seems like some of the films stand on their own, like Black Panther. I'm like, this is kind of like, it reminds me of like reading National Geographic. I'm getting a feel of like all these different cultures. And I would talk to my friend uh, from Kenya and she she would be telling me like, oh, this is uh, kind of like Ugandan. This is kind of like uh, this tribe here. This thing in his lip kind of represents this tribe. And like, I was like, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Like they're saying something about like kind of the African experience, the, the diaspora and like the African-American experience in uh, America, you know? And like, Doctor Strange, uh, I think it had, like, some great things to say about kind of becoming a better person, and it kind of wasn't just, a like, a punching fight at the end. It was kind of like, I've come to bargain, you know? And so I think there are some mm -hmm. high points in Marvel films, but sometimes it's just, like, with superhero films, I remember a professor saying, like, what I don't like about superhero films is, like, it's kind of just, like, uh... A punching bag fight at the end and I was like that is kind of true and sometimes it's just like modern films re rely on like twists and like sometimes like audiences not guessing what's going to happen and like because I, I just would be like uh, watching a film and then I was watching The Crimes of Grindelwald which is a movie I, I really don't like and then it's like and Credence is a Dumbledore and I was like what? That doesn't even make sense, like, with the canon of Harry Potter. And then I would be watching, uh, like, Endgame, and it's like, and now Captain America is wielding Mjolnir. Wow! You know? And, like, it's a cool moment, but I'm like, mm -hmm. I kind of I hope that uh, modern cinema, like, it doesn't just rely on, like, people tweeting things after it's done and be like, that was so cool. I didn't predict that, you know? And, like, that's something I have to grapple with because, ideally, I would love to see Knights of the Old Republic become a movie. But I just wouldn't want them to play, like, the Revan twist kind of, like, maybe how they would probably play it in a modern movie. Because in the game, like, I think they hint at it, but I just kind of wonder if, like, in the current landscape, like, would they kind of, like, overdo it or kind of do it in the wrong way or even, like, throw hints to the future in, of Darth Vader of, for some reason, just to kind of, like, give fans mm, an Easter egg. Yeah. Which I hate. I hate Easter eggs. And speaking of the crimes of Grindelwald, for some reason they had the Philosopher's Stone in that movie, and I'm just like, oh! The, the, it just kind of... Oh, yeah, and they Nicholas Flamel was in the movie. Yeah. Ugh. But, and that's... But yeah. Yeah, those types of thing. That's what I'm worried about, and that kind of gets back to the last Jedi. Is that, in my opinion, is a prime example of a creator using twists because they serve the story. Like that's what ha they need. They were needed to happen because that's where he felt the story organically was going. He wasn't just throwing them in there because it made the story exciting. He threw them in there because 
it made sense. And I think we've reached such a point where it's more of like, okay, how can we make this a twist for like not approaching a story like, okay, let's just see where the story goes and makes the most sense. And Crimes of Grindelwald is a prime example of just throwing curveballs at you for the sake of throwing curveballs. Yeah, that was a movie that when I when I saw it, I was just angry when it was done. Like, I, I just did not like that as a movie. But, but yeah, and you've kind of touched on this, like, kind of after Corona and kind of just with the whole streaming service and Cinemascape being kind of hmm. saturated with superhero films. People love superhero films, but I think, like, now we're going to have to see... I think we're going to see a change. Like, I feel like people love superhero films, but I think they also want something a bit more personal and grounded. How do you think that Star mm -hmm. Wars and other stories can address the need for mythological storytelling and kind of, like, stories about life and growing up? Yeah, because I think so much to what you were saying about i've talked about how i think the pandemic is going to change cultural interests um much how it did in you know with world war ii and vietnam of just entertainment was sh shaped shaped by these things um especially like with what made star wars so a part of the reason what made star wars so refreshing in 1977 was that it went against the grain of all these more jaded, gritty, dark stories that were reflecting the cultural consciousness at the time, which was all preoccupied through Vietnam, Nixon, um, coming out of the civil rights movement, which was a lot of good came out of it, but that was a dark time of just how all the events that led up to it. A lot of bad stuff had happened, so it was reflected in the media through movies, let's say, like Taxi Driver, Apocalypse Now, and that were just dark. Um, they're good movies, but they reflected the times that they were in. And then Star Wars came along, and it was all this hopeful, it was a fairy tale type story. You know, it was mythological, and it, it connected with audience, young and old audiences alike. And now you go to today, where... I've, the need for Star Wars to have more personal storytelling is it's interesting. I don't know how they're going to, because I think as much as I think Campbell should remain in Star Wars as an integral part of how the stories are told, just because he's always been such an integral influence in his work, that I think using that mythological type of uh, thinking and through a storytelling perspective, in one sense, I see it as an opportunity to use his work again for more personal storytelling because mythology has connected through the human psyche for thousands of years or oh, so, so, so long. And I just think ever since the beginning of humankind i mean that's mythology is just always connected and i think right now it would be even more important because perhaps through those types of stories we can connect and that's one thing 
through Marvel as much as I have my gripes. I think it, whether you like it or not, has become type a type of a modern mythology. And I think there's good and bad to that because it's not the greatest type of mythology at times, in my opinion. But I think if you get back to the core fundamentals of storytelling from a mythological perspective, that would be great for Star Wars. I think The Mandalorian... There's there's so much mythologically going on in the Mandalorian. That's another topic within itself. But I think there's there's an opportunity in the Mandalorian for more personal storytelling. But I think Star Wars just needs to do a better job of getting things back to the basics of how even I had posted something yesterday of how George Lucas talking about how story needs to come is more important than the tools you're using for to tell the story. You're using yeah you, the story comes first. The tools are just a way of portraying the story as it is um and i think so yeah. much of today's filmmaking and storytelling is always it's forcing it's just like here's these pretty um special effects where it's essentially i think marty scorsese that said it's like an animated feature because it's so much digitally happening and i think that just yeah it can look cool but if it's not serving what's happening in the story then it doesn't really matter um, and that's one thing I really yeah. appreciate about The Mandalorian is that it's actu actually used special effects in a new way that actually makes it easier to tell a story in a more simplistic um, fashion. Yeah, you touch um, on some great So yeah, thoughts. there's a lot. I mean, I think, yeah, there's a lot. I know I talked about a lot within that, but that's kind of just where I appreciate or approach it from <laughs> that point yeah. of view. I mean, even if you look at, like, action films, like, pre-9-11, like, you have Mission Impossible 2, you have kind of, like, the old pre-Daniel Craig James Bonds, you have Tomb Raider, like, they're kind of just action films that it's kind of campy, not really taking itself seriously, kind of like playing games without consequences, and then... Uh, after 9-11, mm -hmm. you have kind of like the Born Identity, you have the Daniel Craig, James Bonds, and then Mission Impossible. Things get more real and like fall Mission, Mission Impossible, like Fallout. Yeah, like it's it's more grounded, but it's also dealing. There's so many movies about, you know, war crimes and stuff like that. And it, like espionage. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of FE, like espionage films since 9-11. Yeah, so I think, like, 9-11 definitely impacted, like, the, the entertainment industry. And I kind of think Corona will as well. And I guess you could even, like, say, like, no matter how you feel about, like, um, kind of like the Trump presidency, like, people are going to grapple with that, like, in the stories they tell and, like, it changed, it changed, mm -hmm. like, it changed the world. I think, like, we're gonna see kind of some shifting desires of what people are kind of demanding from entertainment and kind of, like, shifting creative forces uh, behind the scenes. But what I like is, like, what you were kind of saying about Star Wars kind of returning to the basics of storytelling and, like, Campbell, because... Kind of what uh, my friend Ian was telling me. We keep on wanting to have him on, but he always uh, gives me some good uh, feedback. And what he says is, like, 
Star Wars like trilogies, they kind of have a pattern and it's definitely based on Campbell and uh, the first mm. iteration of a trilogy, like you have the Phantom Menace, you have A New Hope and The Force Awakens. It's kind of like your hero's journey or heroine's journey, I guess. Like it's kind of like you're introducing a hero uh, to a world of adventure. And then the second iteration in a trilogy is kind of like the genre film. Because like with Attack of the Clones, mm. it's kind of a bit more uh, film noir. You kind of have like Obi-Wan investigating a crime. You kind of have like Anakin and Padme kind of having like a like a romance that probably shouldn't happen. And then in Empire Strikes Back, it's kind of like what lies underneath, like kind of examining like parallelism, you know? And then with mm. uh, mm-hmm. The Last Jedi, you it's it's almost a bit like a kung fu film, I want to say, because it's like Luke is kind of like the reluctant uh, kung fu master and Ray wants to be trained, you know, ah. and he's like, I'm not having mm-hmm. it. And Poe kind of goes through the same thing with uh, Admiral Holdo. And like, I guess you could also say it's a bit of like a horse film, you know, because it's always like in a horse film. It's like, I want to ride this horse. And it's like, you can't ride that horse. And then usually the heroine is like, see, this horse can do it. And I learned and I grew up like as a result of uh, kind of going through it. So it's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then um, the final iteration in a trilogy is only in the case of Revenge of the Sith, it's a fall. Uh, in the case of Return of the Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, it's kind of meant to be more of a redemption. So it's kind of like either the hero fails or succeeds. It's kind of like uh, that's what it is. That's what it kind of is like a, a Star mm-hmm. Wars trilogy. And I think you can definitely have fun and do different things while kind of still. Uh, fitting into that paradigm and that's kind of like how I've been kind of pitching like what a Knights of the Older Public film adaptation could be is you have kind of the hero's Mm -hmm. journey and then kind of like a genre and then kind of like a redemption so that's what we've been doing on the Up and Hawk podcast and it kind of helps you learn a bit more Hmm. about about stories. One thing that's made me kind of think of how star wars could do something different is i've been reading dune i'm like two-thirds of the way through dune and i think you can definitely see the hero's journey within that book but it's an interesting it's kind of the hero i haven't finished it so i'm not even i and i don't really know i know little bits of how it ends but the hero becoming a tyrant type thing of how he's not completely how we were talking about with Luke. It just how it uses the hero's journey, but it's also, it changes it up a little bit to serve the story. And I think that's one of the great things we look at Campbell and myths, but you don't, you don't always have to do it perfectly one for one. And that's where like working within genre, even like how the Mandalorian is using Western samurai tropes to tell and other types of, tropes here and there to tell the very mythic story and i think that's what star wars needs right now is finding creative ways to 
convey similar messages that are core to the Star Wars mythology. And that's just what I'm hoping for going forward. Yeah, I love Dune. I kind of live in a deserty area. And I was listening to the audiobook. I, I usually listen to audiobooks or podcasts when I go on hikes. And just when I was listening mm-hmm. to Dune, like, because I would be thirsty, because I'd be kind of like exercising in the desert. And it just really kind of hammered home like, water, you know, <laughs> is a big deal. And uh, yep. I, I was just, I was just so impressed with Dune. And, I would have read it so much sooner, but the first person who kind of told me about it is like, yeah, it's about a desert planet and there's like these worms and the movie's bad, but it's a good book. So like they kind of didn't really sell me on it the way they described it, but I wish I would have read Dune so much earlier because it, I think that it really inspired so much of sci-fi and I, I kind of think that Dune mm. hasn't gotten its due, like, for no. the obvious, like, influences it gave to Star Wars. And yeah. when I was when I was watching the Mandalorian season opener for season two, I was like, well, they kind of just, you know, stole again from Dune. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of commented that on my story and one person's like, it's just fantasy plenty of stories take place on a desert planet and have a worm and i'm like um no it that that was kind of maybe stealing a bit too much in my opinion but yeah <laughs> oh n- no doubt like i've been reading it and there's literally a vehicle called a sand crawler and there's also instead of having two suns the planet arrakis has two moons and uh, george lucas you know is like oh that's I guarantee you, he was like, oh, that's a cool idea. How about I give it two suns, desert planet? And then there's this thing called spice. Oh, well, what if I stole that and <laughs> put that in my universe? Like, no one talks about that. Or even now with the the crate dragon, the way it was moving around, like, that thing looked more like a worm than a dragon. In one sense, it's cool that it's connected. In another, it's like, well, we're... Dune really doesn't get a cre- enough credit, I think, for how much it's uh, been integral to even Star Wars. <laughs> Dune has such good world building, and it really just, like, I think it was the book that was my favorite. Like, I, I'm a big reader, and it was kind of the favorite book I read that year. And it just really touches on, like, what history is what people kind of agree history is, which is kind of different from reality sometimes. And it kind of touches on like belief, Mm. religion, sociology, psychology, and just like, yeah. And Oh, definitely ecology because um, like water is important. They're living on a desert planet. And just when I was, when I would listen to it and like the, the interludes of princess Irulan, I was just like, those are some really profound thoughts. And it really got me thinking about, like, what kind of person am I? Like, what kind of person, like, historical mm-hmm. figures were, leaders? And it just really stuck with me. That's why I'm very excited for, is it Denis Villeneuve? It, yeah, How Denis we... Villeneuve. Or so, yeah, I think, I think that's right. 
Yeah, so I'm very excited for Canadian names. <laughs> yeah, I'm American. I don't know things. Um, like I'm so excited yeah. to see his adaptation. For the longest time, yeah, I'm really. That kind of even goes back to what I was saying about personal storytelling, and I think that is going to have knowing who Denis Villeneuve is as a filmmaker, watching his work, and then knowing the story of Dune. I'm already pretty pretty confident that he's gonna tell a really profound profound story um, that's gonna be important and actually I think very relevant to the world we're living in. You know, as the culture changes, I think that could be a movie that is important to a changing culture, especially one of the major things is with the ecology aspects. I mean, all of the you know the changing it adapting to an, a changing environment i mean that's relevant more than ever right now in our world so i'm excited for that movie and i think star wars can maybe perhaps learn from it depending on how well it is yeah frank herbert really predicted a lot ecologically i think they've described dune as star wars for adults which i i do think is <laughs> accurate and there's just such a great that creative is, force behind the scenes and they have such a talented cast and i think the visuals match the story but not at the expense of the story so i don't know if it's going to be a trilogy or if it's going to be a duology but whenever the movie comes out i'm very excited and well pro i'm probably going to end up doing like a bonus episode when uh when dune comes out because i'm just like i think it's relevant to to star wars yeah i might have asked you this already but how do you think star wars can help improve cinema that's a tricky one in the sense that i'm trying to figure that out on myself and it's one of those things i feel like we won't really know it until we see it of how it can but i think one thing that makes me cynical is that a film like The Last Jedi is an example of how Star Wars can improve cinema, is that it's, one, a really good movie on its own. Two, it's a really good Star Wars story on its own, because and it uses the George Lucas line of thinking of doing something is, you know, pushing the boundaries. So that was one of Ryan Johnson's, like, when Ryan Johnson... You know, or when George Lucas made Empire Strikes Back, he wasn't thinking about how he could recapture a new hope. He was thinking about how he could further the story. But in but that reaction to The Last Jedi, how it was furthering the story, but the reaction was very much divisive and it caused strife. And it was, you know, so we're still kind of figuring out how fans are going to react down the road. But I think ultimately with how Star Wars needs to improve cinema in my opinion is tell push the story forward it's all about moving forward in whatever way that is um i'm not saying that there's a certain story that has to be told i'm just saying that there needs to be new stories told that are can expand the mythology of it um in a ways that makes sense and basically my worry is that star wars is just going to be a flat circle where everything has to become like self-referential. Um, you always have to bring someone like Luke Skywalker in to, you know, bring it back to what we know. Um, 
and I just think we need story needs to move beyond that. That's why, um, the acolyte, um, Leslie Headland's Disney Plus series set in the end of the High Republic era. That's why I think that's my favorite or my most anticipated Star Wars project, just because I think that has a, an opportunity to do something new and push the boundaries a bit. Go forward. I, I definitely agree. And I'm definitely looking forward to Leslie Headland's show because it's moving back in the timeline. I think the only two characters we could really see that we know would be Palpatine, a younger Palpatine, and Darth Plagueis. And we haven't really seen Plagueis. We've only heard about him. And I think she's a great writer who could really kind of give some nuance to kind of the end of the High Republic and kind of show like, kind of like when you have a golden age, it can definitely turn into a gilded age. And that's kind of what mm. happens with the <laughs> King Arthur cycle is you have a golden age, you have yeah. Camelot, but then it can just definitely become a tragedy. And I definitely think stars needs to move forward. And that's why I just, I do want to see them move somewhere else in the timeline. I never want to hear about a Darth Vader, you know, like in some future films and that's why I no. would love to see an adaptation of the Knights of the Old Republic because you have a pre-existing story that I think is maybe far enough removed from the time it came out that you could kind of be George Lucas creating a new hope, you know? Like, George Lucas had to create a whole new look. It had to be familiar but different. You kind of have a fairy tale taking place in space and... I think with Knights of the Old Republic, you could play with the sound. There would definitely be different sound effects. There would be kind of a different visual look because it's 4,000 years before everything. And the Jedi are still Jedi. The Sith are still Sith, but it's a different galaxy. There's a whole lot of Sith. There's a whole lot of Jedi and they're at war. You know, it's like, that's why it kind of mm. just like kind of captures my imagination and it's like you could definitely you have your work cut out for you for you kind of creating a new visual audio and like you can create a whole different kind of sound of score and kind of free Star Wars up a bit while still being Star Wars and it's kind of like you're creating you know like rather than retreading mm -hmm. so that's just me on my kotor soapbox but like i think like if they yeah. <laughs> did if they did try to do kotor like that's why I, I would rather see a kotor adaptation than a game but i think it could like you could become like george lucas and kind of reimagine what star wars could be mm. and that's what with the high republic I very, I don't want, because right now I've I've read Light of the Jedi, Test of Courage, I'm still getting into Into the Dark, but so far, in my opinion, it's established a new era incredibly well, and I'm hoping you've established it, especially Light of the Jedi hardly relied on anything pre-existing at all, in a sense, like, with mention only basically only 
mentions of Yoda and some other character. Um, and I think that's a good start of not trying to retread. And then what I'm hoping, I don't want this era of the universe to just become something that they can just pump out books and comics in for the sake of it. And that's why I think that perhaps Acolyte will be almost a finishing point for the High Republic. Because that will be... I don't see an episode of that coming out. I don't... That premiering for another two to three years. So I think you have two to three years to establish the universe and then the Acolyte can finish it off. And then maybe go into a different era. And where you can just... Instead of... And that's hopefully... I don't know... I don't think we're ever going to get out of working around the Skywalker saga, unfortunately. Judging by the upcoming release slate. But I do think you can work within these other eras and have these little pockets where you can tell complete stories that sort that work on their own. Because I'm really as kind of going back to that Marvel discussion of Marvel is there's no ending point. It's like an ongoing TV series. The movies almost work as episodes. And it's just leading, it, everything has to connect. And I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like, I, there's good things to be had in the Marvel Universe, and I like some of it. But I don't want Star Wars to just become where it, there's, it's a never-ending thing. So I'm hoping they can just, almost in a serialized fashion, tell stories within these certain areas, and then go to a different era, and so on. Yeah. I was very impressed with the light of the Jedi and the High Republic. It it has a new kind of visual look to it, and because even just uh, listening to the audiobook, I was like, yeah, I think like this would have a different kind of score to it, and I think it would have a different kind of visual look, and the costumes are different, mm. and. So if it ever was adapted, I I would be a fan of it because I think it seems to have a good story and it would be different and it wouldn't just be kind of retreading the original trilogy kind of time period. Star Wars is a saga. It, it's not meant to be a cinematic universe. So I think if uh, mm -hmm. I think if that differentiation is kind of adhered to i think like star wars will have a great future so i don't know exactly what's going to happen but um i think as long as uh mythic storytelling is at the heart of star wars like there there's a lot of great places that star wars can go to mm -hmm. i agree especially with the light of the jedi it feels that very arthurian like knights of the round table type thing at the moment but yeah definitely. like even that i think by Ac acolyte we're going to get into the end of that era which i'm excited for but it's still using the mythic type of storytelling which is good and i hope it they continue to do that yeah all right uh that was a great episode was there anything else you wanted to say or are you ready to close out i i can close out i think i've said my piece <laughs> awesome so where can our, our viewers find you you can find me at 
on Instagram at plo cool. That's plo double underscore cool. You can also find me on Twitter, which is more, it's, I don't really, it's just kind of my random thoughts, um, but at the same username. Um, but yeah, you can find me there. Awesome. And then you can find the Ebonhawk podcast on Instagram at Ebonhawk podcast. And the Ebonhawk podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and Google podcasts, as well as everywhere else that anchor podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out immensely. And coding can be found on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash codenbond and on Instagram. And our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Schurman at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. And our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at christianwalkermusic.com. This has been the Ebonhawk Podcast. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.